Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Thanks, Dustin. Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, it's great to see all of you here, and I know that it's been a full day, so if you're at the beach already, I completely understand, and I may go there with you a couple times, but hopefully I'll come back for whoever might still be here. So um, when, you know, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I did not want to live anymore. Um, I didn't really want to die enough to take care of that either, but I definitely did not... I had come to that point where I could not imagine living life with alcohol anymore, and I certainly couldn't imagine it without alcohol anymore. And um, I, AA works. I unfortunately have spent time not working it. So what I'm going to share with you today is what has worked in AA for me and what didn't work in AA for me. And um, really... First of all, start with, um, you know, what it was like just to qualify. And um, I was restless, irritable, and discontent from the get-go. Um, I remember my mom, uh, there was this little book that was on the bathtub in um, the bathroom at our house that w- was all, the pages were all warped on the book, and I didn't know what it was. But it had obviously taken several dips in the bathtub, and I knew that um, at night, my mom used to put us to bed, and um, I would hear the bath water running until the bathtub was full, and she couldn't run the water anymore, and then I'd hear her crying in there. And um, I didn't really know what was going on. I was self-absorbed and self-centered, you know, at that age. So it wasn't like um, I was feeling real pale and tragic about what was going on inside our house either, but alcoholism was going on in our house, and um, so, you know, what came to be was, you know, me, by the time I was 12 and took my first drink, um, I was restless and irritable and discontent um, for 12 years at that point. I was always looking for the next thing, something to change, you know, and Today, what I've realized in my life is that trying to change conditions outside of me and find a new playground and a new this and a new that, a different, you know, person to focus on, a new job, a new whatever, is just like rearranging furniture on the Titanic. You know, it is pointless because the ship's going down and the conditions are not really what matters. It's where I'm approaching life from. It makes all the difference in the world. And I was approaching life from the point of absolute selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, in the, in the big book, it talks about me <laughs> all over the place. And um, I've, the only place I've really, you know, I, I mean, I've got big books with a lot of writing in them. But the only place I've really scratched out words that I found it really effective is in the third step where it starts to talk about um, after being convinced we were at step three. So Sonia's arrangements, if if Sonia's arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as she wished, the show would be great. 
Everybody, including Sonia, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, Sonia may sometimes be quite virtuous. She may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, she may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. As with most humans, she is more likely to have varied traits. And it goes on with Sonia and she replacing those. Because when I read that in the morning, it really hits home when it has my name in it. And it really gets back down to the root of my problem. Alcohol was a solution for me. It was not the root of my problem. Alcohol became a quick fix that turned on me over time, or I would still be doing it. Absolutely. Alcohol actually kept me from killing myself through my teenage years. I know that. If I had not had something to go to and some solution to find, I absolutely would have killed myself. And um, so it was definitely something that saved me until it turned around and started killing me. And um, so at 12, when I picked up my first drink, I did find a relief in that right away. And um, I found a lot of other great things, too, you know, older guys, um, attention, a lot of escape in a lot of different ways. Um, and I jumped in with both feet. And what I got from that was a lot of good times for the next four years. Um, and then somewhere around 16, it started just to turn dark. You know, and the lights kept dimming and kept dimming and kept dimming and kept dimming until I found Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know why for me, I could not get my life off the ground. You know, I had a dad who was able to keep all the plates spinning and had a business and drank and could be out until three in the morning and come home and, you know, wreak havoc there and get up and go to work in the morning and do it for decades, over and over again. I couldn't get my life off the ground. You know, that was not my story. So um, definitely um, this thing, this disease, shows up differently. And it really doesn't matter how it shows up. The root cause is selfishness and self-centeredness all the way around. And fortunately, that makes our solution the same thing all the way around. And so what I did, you know, from 12 to 16, I did have good times and um, definitely drank as much as I could uh, whenever I could. And then, um, as I said, things just went dark. You know, I, depression, um, you know, when you drink as much as you, <laughs> when you drink until you pass out, which is basically my process of drinking. I start drinking. It. What matters is what I'm drinking as far as how far I'm going to go before I pass out. But I am inevitably going to pass out. And so I would take a drink, whether I intended to or not, and I intended to for all of that time. But when life started, you know, the things that mattered to me started to fall away, and I tried to stop drinking. I had gotten to the point where I had graduated from high school and went to college and um, was flunking out of college and because I didn't show up, you know, I, I could not show up. I mean, I was, I grew up in a small town um, about 16 miles south of Albert Lee where Brandy lives right now um, and 
you know, getting out of that town and moving to the big town of Des Moines, Iowa was just like kid in a candy store. You know, I can, they've got drink specials everywhere. I'm producing fake IDs on the dorm floor and we're all going, you know, and so school was not my main objective. Anything that required effort was not my main objective, definitely. And so I was focused on feeling better all the time, getting relief, and that was what I continually sought. But um, I was working at a, at a uh, cafeteria in a factory, and one of my drinking buddies um, disappeared one day. And she had gone to treatment, and I didn't know it, uh, but she was gone, and this woman, Toots, that was a supervisor in this factory, came in and did her paperwork at night while I was wiping down the tables. And for some reason, I started spilling to her how miserable I was because I knew she was going to see my drinking buddy, Tammy, in treatment. So that whole one alcoholic working with another when my parents, the law, and others, school officials had been closing in on me and really trying to make me make changes in my life, and I just pushed them all away. This one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic opened up doors that no one had ever been able to get with me. And she sat there and talked to me and listened to me, and for some reason I started sharing things with her that I hadn't shared with anybody. And she said, you know, there's an AA meeting on Monday and Thursday mornings that um, you're welcome to come to with me. So I was 18 at that time and um, went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I spent two, year, two and a half years after that in and out and in and out and in and out of AA trying to prove that um, I was not an alcoholic. And all I got over that time was continued evidence of my powerlessness over alcohol and my selfishness and self-centeredness and self-will. And so um, it was just a continuous downhill slide, um, really, you know, my life without a program of Alcoholics Anonymous is circling the drain. And it is, you know, today it's like I'm in the car, I'm in the parking lot, and the car is on fire is pretty much where I was at at the end of my drinking. Like everything is going down. And I look in the rearview mirror and all the chaos I had created in the relationships in my life going on around me are right there. You know, now Alcoholics Anonymous seem to put out that fire, but if I don't drive the car out of there, I'm still in the chaos, you know. So I'm still hanging out at bars, thinking that somehow I'm going to stay sober. I want my old friends to come with me into this new life. I don't want to make new friends in AA. And obviously they're not on board. You know, they're trying to convince me I'm not an alcoholic, too, because I'm drinking like they drink. You know, what, you can't be an alcoholic. And so, you know, so there I am, you know, sitting in the car, fire's out now, but I've left treatment, so I end up in treatment over a course of, went to that AA meeting, you know, went back there again and again and again, having drank the night before, and... What they said to me was, just keep coming back, you know. It'll be revealed to you whether or not your life will continue to get worse if you don't drink. 
because you are your problem, you know. And so I was out of my skin sober. I mean, when I finally did end up in treatment, I could not sleep that entire first three weeks because I just could not stand life in my skin anymore. And so they that's what was revealed to me is that given enough time sober, I am so uncomfortable in my own skin that I have got to have some kind of inter- interrupter, intervention of some sort. And sponsorship really was the key to that. And what happened was I had a couple moments of clarity. One night we were out partying, and um, again, I, I had been in and out of AA for about two and a half years, and um, I was out partying with a bunch of people, and we ended up at a townhouse in the south side of Des Moines, um, which is no new news. You know, I constantly was going places that I didn't know where I was or who I was going to be there with, or that was not any new news. There was booze and drugs all over the kitchen table, not any new news there. But what happened that night was I drank until I passed out like I always do, and I ended up passing out in this, um, you know, it was a bunch of guys living in this place, and they had this their rooms couple single beds in this room and I passed out in one single bed and some guy came in and passed out with me nothing new there and a woman that was partying with us passed out in the other bed and I came to and this woman was um, about to be raped by one of the guys that we were partying with who had come into that room and she was passed out and it was just one of those moments of clarity you know where I had been to enough AA meetings to know and understand that um, the only reason that that was not me, and I was continuously placing myself in positions to be hurt, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. But that was just one night that, for whatever reason, there was a moment of clarity where it was like, the only reason that I am not in that bed, in that situation right now, and that I'm just the observer of it, stopping it, um, is that some other guy came in and passed out with me, and I wasn't alone in that bed, you know? And so, I, you know, I just had a moment of this is so messed up, and I might live a long, long time. I mean, that's, it's like not, ooh, some kind of virtue and light bulb came on, and I decided to work the pro- program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was like, this is really messed up, and I might live a long time, and it's not getting any worse. Yeah, it's getting beyond worse. And so as long as I'm in this body in this lifetime, I've got alcoholism, you know, and I can either work a program that has worked for others, or I can stay in self-management, which obviously wasn't working so well for me, and only got me in the position that I wanted to die. And... So that was a moment of clarity. Another one was, um, you know, the first step got just hammered home. I was trying to hold on to school. Um, I was about to be kicked out of this class because I had I was a 7 a.m. clinical on Friday mornings, and Thursday nights was all the beer you can drink at the distillery for three bucks. And um, yeah, it was cheap drinking back then. And I, uh, it was just you know Thursday nights, Friday mornings were not good. And I was, um, I very rarely made it out to bed by 6 in the morning. So um, to get up and be somewhere and try to do something 
in clinical was impossible. So I was barely hanging on. And that night, I had decided that I was going to run an experiment and go to the bar as late as possible because I had to go. You know, I had to go, but I was going to go as late as possible, and then I was not going to drink, and I would make it to this clinical the next morning at 7 a.m. So I went to the bar as late as I could possibly stand it and got there at about 9.30. And at first I wasn't going to drink, and then I start to get a little restless, and the Diet Coke gets a little bit stale, and I'm only going to have one, and then I'm only going to have three, and then I am waking up, coming to, peeling my face off public toilet seat number 992 at that point, um, you know, where obviously I had found some comfort in the coolness of hugging the toilet, and, um, you know, everyone that I was partying with had left because I had ticked them off, and... So, you know, there I was again, and I really had intended that night. So it was like another moment of clarity because I had intended to first not drink, then to only have one, then to only have three, um, and here I was again, you know, and I'd been to enough meetings where I knew the deal, you know. I knew that I related to these people in a way that I couldn't explain. I mean, I knew that I felt something in my gut. I hated being anywhere, you know, but... While the meeting was going on, I mean, before the meeting, I was really uncomfortable. After the meeting, I was really uncomfortable. Thank God I was smoking, and there was at least that. Um, but I, I just was really uncomfortable in social settings, trying to talk to people without booze, you know. And so while the meeting was going on, though, I knew that I felt something in my gut that I had never felt anywhere. It wasn't that I wanted to spend the rest of my life in AA. It wasn't that it was really where I had aspired to be, but I knew I felt something in my gut that now today I think was the beginning of serenity because what's happened over time is that feeling has just grown out. It's creeped into more and more and more moments of my day and given me more and more comfort in my own skin as long as I have continued to grow away from the drink. But if I don't grow away from the drink, then the chaos is still going on um, you know, I got a committee up here that is on a mission to kill me. And, and it wants me dead, but it will settle for drunk. And if not drunk, it will settle for miserable until it can corner me into drunk. And I want the whole enchilada. I mean, if I'm going to be sober, and I know that I can't bear life out there the way that it was drinking, if I'm going to be sober, then I... I want the whole enchilada, and everything that's been shared here today is the whole enchilada. You know, recovery and unity and service is the whole deal. And it takes working it very imperfectly, fortunately. You know, by the grace of God and the miracle of this program, I took my last drink July 4th of 1991. And I have not had to take a drink since then. And it has been absolutely because of those three things, that three-legged stool. And the first thing was that woman 12-step in me at that table that night when I was wiping down tables and sharing with me her experience, strength, and hope. Now, she did not have to do that, but she was willing to practice the 12-step with someone that she didn't know. She didn't. She was probably pretty indifferent about, maybe didn't like, 
you know, but she was willing because she saw that I was in pain to share with me, to invite me to a meeting. And today I feel like that's my responsibility where I see it's, it fit because I got 12 stepped at work. You know, if I see that it might be helpful, I share that I'm in the program and I share some of my story. And over the years, what's happened is people have gotten to know me better at least or People have come to meetings or their brother, their sister, their mom or the dad, you know, and, and that's an important piece. So I was being 12 step before I even knew what was happening, you know, and she was sponsoring me really, um, you know, before I knew what had hit me, but I was not ready. I was not willing and I did not do it. And so nothing changed for me. So there was two and a half years of you know, knowing and having the solution. And then, boy, does that eat my lunch, you know. And then I ended up in treatment. I was suicidal. I ended up in treatment at 20 and um, left there. Felt better. I'm fine now. And um, I'm hanging out in the bars again. And, uh, you know, could not stay away from old playgrounds and old playmates. And this meeting I was going to, this Guy was saying, you know, Sonia, as, as, if you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. If you hang out in the bar long enough, you're going to take a drink. And that, I'll never forget that. And he was absolutely right. You know, I drank about enough Diet Coke to gag in that six months and um, was trying to, you know, I just wasn't growing away from the drink. And that's the key is growing away from it. Or I'm going to get restless, irritable, and discontent enough that I can't stand life in my skin, and I'm going to have to do something. And unfortunately for us, it seems to be from the friends that I have had the opportunity to continue to get to know over time, it's we either drink and or we kill ourselves, you know. And so growing away from the drink is a lifetime job, and I believe that I still have a lot of growing away from the drink to do because I have friends that have stopped growing away from the drink, didn't pick one up, but have killed themselves in the program. And um, that is really painful. But, um, you know, I have an uncle that's dying of alcoholism right now. I have a cousin who's in prison um, who knit this amazing afghan for my husband and I for our our wedding um, that, you know, is probably one of the most cherished gifts that we got, um, but is, is in prison right now losing over a decade of her life because of alcoholism, you know, and I am very grateful that I could not get my life off the ground. And I was desperate enough and I did it. I did what a sponsor asked of me. So eventually, so after that six months, July 4th, 91, I picked up my last drink and I just knew that it was over. It was only getting worse. It was not going to get better. And I might live a long time. So I, uh, I started working the program. I got a sponsor that I actually called, and I started going through the book with her. And I also started to take some of the phone numbers and not throw them away, the phone numbers that were being given to me at meetings, you know, of other women in the program. And I talked to three alcoholic women a day, today still, today, because I need to have that connection in my life. I got to have a network of support. I got to set my life up so it's easier for me to not take a drink than it is for me to take a drink. And I was a long ways from that 
when I came in. So the suggestions that I got over time, you know, of hanging out at fellowship, coming to meetings early, staying late. You know, at that time we were smoking in meetings still, so there were ashtrays to clean. There were, you know, coffee carafts to clean. There was a lot to do um, that, well, there was a couple more things to do that, um, you know, offered a lot of opportunity for me to have a reason other, you know, when I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, so the picking up chairs, putting the tables away, the cleanup, the, all of that, I started to feel over time like I had ownership in the meeting. I never would have done any of that if it weren't for sponsorship. Sponsorship has made me act better than I feel like acting. And because of acting better than I feel like acting, I feel better faster. And fortunately, my feelings don't matter anyway. They really don't. It's the actions that make all the difference in the world. Because feelings are like the weather. They come and they go. I gauged all of my actions around what I felt like doing, and I just wanted to die in the end. So sponsorship has given me this no matter what pattern of action you know, no matter what, I have a home group. It's Monday nights, Golden Valley, Minnesota. We meet at 7.30. I meet at 6.15 with the women I sponsor. We read the big book for 45 minutes, and then it's shaking hands time at 7 o'clock. I've been doing that for years, and it works. It gets me there early so that I'm not flying into the meeting just under the radar there until about the time they're going to start the prayer at the end and jet now because that's what didn't work for me. You know, not getting connected, not feeling like I was a part of and not having an ownership in it did not work. Like I said, I don't do any of this stuff out of virtue. It's only been because I had a sponsor that was actually doing that stuff too. And she still does more than I do. And it works. You know, watching what she's done, doing what she does, and so I was a couple years sober, and um, I had just, of course, you know, I mean, I'd fallen in love in AA, no, uh, with the guy that I was working with um, that, you know, of course, I mean, there's a great checklist for relationships in the 12th step and the 12 and 12, and it talks about if as long as you are compatible mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and you basically, and you're both working the program, if you're both alcoholics, you know, you might have a chance of making a healthy relationship, um, you know, with sponsorship. And what I realized was that my entire focus in relationships was always looking for the physical to make up for what I had no clue was really there emotionally, spiritually, or mentally because I was so fearful that I wasn't going to get what I wanted when I wanted it ultimately that I thought I had to jump in, you know, to what could be immediate and focus on that. And I was missing the point that there would never be a full four-dimensional relationship in my life unless I figured out who I was. There was no prayer of it. And so I had gotten into this relationship, was, which was, of course, focused on the physical, and that ended, and I want to drink. Big surprise. You know, I mean, why do they tell people to stay out of relationships in the first year? Well, 
what's the most emotional situation that I can put myself into, hello, it's really all about the fact that I don't know what to do with my emotions and I need to protect myself from getting in that place. And so, um, you know, no big surprise. I'm about two years sober. That relationship ends and I want to drink. I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted it and I want to drink. And so I obsessed about that for a couple weeks, finally called my sponsor, told her that I wanted to drink. And she, um, called her sponsor, told her, and her sponsor called me back and left a message on my voicemail. Honey, you need to start working with others. If you don't start acting better than you feel like acting, you are going to get drunk. Click. And she was right. You know, I didn't like that. I took that with a lump. But um, I was still very focused on what can make me feel better, what can make me feel better, instead of looking to see what I could do for others and how I might share my experience, strength, and hope, which two years earlier I wanted to die. At that point, even in the pain that I was in, I didn't want to die anymore. So obviously things had gotten a lot better, and I had not taken a drink yet. So that was a Wednesday night. Thursday night I had my home group, and I had a job in my home group. I was a uh, the greeter coordinator, and they were not going to be talking about me drunk that night. So I was going to go to the meeting, and I was going to be the greeter coordinator that night. And then my friend Sybil, because I had started taking phone numbers and not throwing them away, um, and actually reaching out and letting myself connect with other women that were sober, um, she was getting her four years that Friday night, and so I was going to stay sober just one more night for her. And by Saturday now, I had been to three meetings, and the feelings were starting to pass. And I could have just thrown it all away right, right in that feeling moment. But it's the actions of sponsorship and the taking of the direction and acting better than I feel like acting, that will always guide me through those times where emotion hits. You know, I lost my job um, after I did one day at a time graduate from college and get a job. Um, I moved to Minneapolis, and there was this window of opportunity where nobody knew me. Um, but my sponsor said, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is like a merry-go-round. If you get in the middle of it, they can spin that baby as hard as possible and you won't go anywhere. If you're on the outside of the merry-go-round, they start spinning it, and life will spin. Then you got to hang on with both hands. You don't have any hands free to help anybody else. And eventually, your finite power will not hold you there. And she was right. I needed to jump into AA in this new place like I had needed to when I left treatment. I needed to jump in in this new place, and um, and that's what ended up happening. I mean, I just, my feet got me there when my head was saying, go to happy hour. You need to get to know your coworkers, blah, 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 all the fears, you know, fear of what they think of me. Um, but I needed to be an Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm an alcoholic, and it's only getting worse. It's never going to get better, and it's the only thing that's worked for me. And so I jumped in and into getting a home group first, eventually getting a sponsor here, and my sponsor in Des Moines was available until I found someone um, in the Twin Cities. And 
I felt at home in no time because of the fellowship that invited me in because I let myself, I put myself out there. But it's absolutely, it's not going to happen on the couch at home. You know, it's only going to happen getting uncomfortable that I will eventually get comfortable with sober people and sober situations in a new place, in a new city, and away from where I had sobered up. And um, so what happened there, um, about nine months after I had started that job, I got laid off. And I came to my home group that Monday night, and my uh, I was crying, and one of our home group members said to me, um, you know, he asked what was wrong, and I, I told him I'd lost my job. And he said, oh, Sonia, God gave you a promotion. And I'm like, are you on heroin? I am the only one paying my bills. You know, I mean, I have to have a job. And he, what I didn't realize yet was that my higher power is really the source. I have a company that writes my paycheck, but my higher power has seen me through a lot of dark situations and places that I put myself in. And the source is my higher power. It's not the company that writes the check. So as long as I do the next right thing and keep doing the next right thing, it's going to lead me toward whatever's next. And that is that, you know, the right people with the right information have been placed in my life at exactly the right time over and over and over again in AA if I have just shown up. It won't happen on the couch, never happen on the bar stool, but it's happened again and again and again in AA, and especially through sponsorship. And about seven years sober, I started having anxiety attacks. I was in this wedding with a guy that had sexually abused me when I was a kid, and I was so angry with this guy by the end of this weekend because he had a wife and kids and I was, um, you know, 26 at the time and I hadn't had a healthy relationship in my life and probably wasn't capable of one ever. And um, I was so angry with him by the end of that weekend. I just kept envisioning myself driving a Mack truck through his living room, you know, with him the only one there, not his wife and children. But, um, I, so my sponsor <laughs> said, um, I think you need to pray the resentment prayer for this guy. Obviously, I mean, he wasn't even on my fourth step. Because there's just some things that are so painful that you can't deal with them until you're ready to deal with them. You know, I mean, there are just some things. And you don't have to go looking for them and search the navel for them. They will come up when it is time. And... Um, but what happened was I started praying for this guy, and the magic of the resentment prayer in the big book, in case you haven't been led to it, you know, now it's been about a thousand times from my sponsor that I've been led to it, but um, the resentment prayer is really about praying for all the health, happiness, prosperity, for another child of a higher power, um, just like I would want for myself. And because I hadn't dealt with that, what happened was I started having anxiety attacks and getting more and more angry. So I was in the midst of a process that I needed to go through, but it was not fun. And I was having anxiety attacks, and um, I was on my way to, I, you know, I got this idea that somehow in AA that um, it, it says in there that AA really points us to and gives us what we need to walk through any problem we might have. 
But that doesn't mean if I have tax or legal problems that I don't go to an expert that has the expertise in tax and legal issues. You know, I don't go to my sponsor for that. And um, I needed a planned program of action through a very painful issue. That's just, it was, an, it was one more thing that I used to drink about. You know, it doesn't make me an alcoholic. It's just one more thing. And so, anyway, I, so I had found a counselor through another friend in AA who had been through the same thing. And I was having anxiety attacks driving there, and I went down the uh, one-way street the wrong way, um, going to this, to Chrysalis, to this counseling appointment. And it had been just a bad day. And my grandfather had shock treatments done on him in Rochester back in the 70s. And I kept remembering that, you know, where he was at when he had those shock treatments done on him. And I thought, I am going down. I am going down that road. That is exactly what's going to happen to me. I am unraveling here. And I was unraveling. But fortunately, a lot of times in this journey, when it feels like things are falling apart, they're really just falling into place if we just hang on and do the next right thing. And what happened that day was I left that appointment, and I was about to go across. If you guys know Blaisdell and 27th, that area at rush hour, there's cars going just Mach 4. You can't see anything because there's cars parked on both sides. So I caught a, mom a window where I was about to gun it across Blaisdell, and Fortunately, I'd been looking down this way to try to go across, and I pulled my head back and was going to gun it, and there is a blind woman that is at the hood of my car, and I almost just mowed her over, and I just fell apart. I, I pulled over, and I was like, I can't take this. I am losing it. You know, I'm sponsoring women in AA. I'm doing AA. I'm doing everything I can. I don't have anything to give. I am losing it. And I, I heard this voice that said, Sonia, she leaves her house every single day trusting that other people are going to look out for her, this blind woman, trusting that. And you think I'm not looking out for you in this? And for whatever reason, that was just a little light bulb that was like, okay, trust God, clean house, help others. That's all I need to do in this situation, too, fortunately. You know, it's a universal solution that works every time. And time and time again, you know, and, and I've, I've told you, I've shared with you guys about some painful points in my sobriety. But the good news is, like, between that, I've had, like, strung together more and more and more comfort in my own skin, more and more peace that, the right people will continue to be placed in my life at exactly the right time with the right information and a little bit more conscious contact with the higher power beyond, you know, God with skin on, working through others too. So by continuing to practice and practice, like Brandy said, you know, I practiced it. So I'm, not, I'm no stranger to practice. I got to practice this too, or it's not going to work. So over time, um, it is... My time is up in two minutes. So, you know, I got up to seven years of sobriety, and today it's, what, 2009, and um, I am very grateful for the life that I've been given. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant, 
So I haven't had caffeine in quite a while, so I hope you guys have been able to stay awake um, because I was fearful that all of us were going to fall asleep, including me up here. But um, I am so grateful for the opportunity to um, become a mom thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous showing me a way to walk toward grace and dignity and integrity. And I did not come into this thing with those things. And they're the most important things that this program gives, you know, is um, if I just will grow away from the drink, that's what I'm growing toward. And um, there are many people who are willing to help, including myself, um, and and this thing works. So I, I wish you all the very best. And if, even if you're uh, feeling crazy right now and, and crawling out of your skin, beyond the fact that you just want me to shut up, um, you know, there is a solution here that it, even if it seems like a dark time right now, if you just hold your face up to the light, which oftentimes is another human being's face with a big book, and help through that... Um, did you find a face? Yeah. Um, it definitely works if you work it. So thanks. Have a great evening, you guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.